Okay, boss, we're almost there. Good. I can't wait to see the look on their faces when we bust through that door. They don't know we're coming? Nope. Why not? Element of surprise. They'll never know what hit them. Their heads are gonna pop right off their shoulders. This is my favorite part of this life. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta take matters in your own hands. And besides, they asked for it. They've been asking for it. And they're gonna get it, right, boss? <laughs> yeah. They're gonna be there, right? They'll be there. Okay, boys, give it to him. Wow, nice bats. Thanks, but where's the other team? Come on, Uncle Vito, you're better than that. We're soccer team. Aye, aye. Okay, we knew that. Um, no, you didn't. Okay, great. Um, we'll, we'll be right back. Uh, we'll soccer. Go to Mordell's, maybe? Uh... All right, guys. Bye. I didn't see that one coming. Soccer team? And where'd that come from? <laughs> that was good. You know, I love, I love that image of the, uh, of the tough guys being generous because we've, we've got this picture in our minds of guys that look like that and how they're supposed to act and what they're supposed to do. And, and sometimes our stereotypes, sometimes our prejudice, our preconceptions are just so wrong. And the same thing is true when you think about uh, terms like rich and wealthy and poor and needy and, and, and things like that. And depending on, on where you fall, maybe say even on the political spectrum or whatever, sometimes when you think of the word poor, you think of someone who is lazy and who's a freeloader and, and that sort of thing. And that's not fair because that's not necessarily true of those people. Or if you uh, hear the term rich, you think of somebody who is uh, arrogant or entitled or self-sufficient or superior or whatever it may be. And again, that's not necessarily true. And so we have these prejudices, these preconceptions in our mind, and it affects the way in which we relate to people, and it actually affects the way in which we think of ourselves. And as we're beginning a new series that we're calling uh, Living With More, we're going to be looking at issues of uh, what does it mean to be rich or to be wealthy? And how do we live well as people who have been given so much? Because we live in a society, we live in a community 
where we're actually pretty well-to-do compared to the rest of the world. But how do you define terms like rich and poor and wealthy and needy? It's difficult to define those terms because in some sense they're relative. It really depends on your point of comparison. So for example, if you look at the poverty level in the United States, the US government defines the poverty level for a family of four people as an income of slightly more than $24,000 a year. Now, for most of us, that's relatively poor. And in fact, there are only 23% of the households in the United States that fall below the poverty line. And so the majority of people within the United States, $24,000 would be poor. It's, it's essentially at or below the poverty line. But if you take that $24,000 and you give it to a household pretty much anywhere else in the rest of the world, 90% of the people in the rest of the world make less than $24,000 a year. So from that perspective, someone who makes, or a family that makes $24,000 is relatively wealthy compared to most of the rest of the world. So how do we define terms like rich and poor and wealthy and needy? Because they're all relative and it's almost impossible to define those kinds of terms. Some years ago, uh, the Gallup magazine, the Gallup organization, took a poll of people and they asked them uh, how much income they would need in order to consider themselves to be rich. And pretty much all the way across the income spectrum, people defined rich as roughly twice their current income. So if they make $50,000 a year, they viewed $100,000 as someone who would be rich. If they made 100,000, they saw 200,000 as being rich. If they made 500,000, they saw a million dollars as being rich. And so they defined it in those relative terms, really all the way across the spectrum. The same thing was true when Money Magazine did a similar poll. Rather than asking the question, how much income do you need to be rich? What they asked, what do you need your net worth to be in order for you to be rich? And again, pretty much everybody said, roughly twice their current net worth. So terms like rich and poor, again, they're all so relative and it makes it almost impossible to define them. So let's not do that this morning. I don't want us to talk about what exactly is rich or what exactly is poor, what exactly is wealthy, what exactly is needy. Instead, let's talk about more. Let's talk about what it means to have more and how we can live in light of the fact that we do have more. Because when compared to so much of the rest of the world and actually so much of the rest of the country, we in this particular area just outside of New York City have more. We live in a community that is relatively wealthy when compared with the rest of the country. And the same is true when we look at other aspects of our lives. I just saw a poll, 2015, um, poll of the different uh, levels of education throughout the country. New Jersey came in as the third best state in which to educate your children. Last year it was number one. I don't know how exactly they do these, these different rankings, but year after year after year, New Jersey is consistently in the top five in terms of the educational opportunities for our children. And if you look at the public schools, even, even in this immediate area, the public schools here are stronger. They prepare kids better for college and for careers than pretty much any of the private schools in most of the rest of the country. 
and our private schools here are pretty amazing. So when you think about the opportunities that we have here, not just the financial opportunities, but the educational opportunities, we have so much more than the rest of the country and really than the rest of the world. We have access to some of the best healthcare in the world. We have access to some of the best opportunities in the world. We have access to some of the best ways to develop our talents. The private lessons that we can have for our kids are amazing. We've got Broadway available. We've got all sorts of other musical opportunities. Our kids can be on multiple traveling sports teams, one for each season of the year. We've got the Paper Mill Playhouse right around the corner from us. We've got incredible health clubs. We have so much more than the rest of the world, and in fact, than the rest of the country has. So no matter how you look at it, we are people who have more. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we feel guilty about having more, or others try to make us feel guilty about having more. But there is nothing inherently good, and there is nothing inherently evil about how much we have, the size of our income, the size of our bank account, the talents that we have, the opportunities that we have, the resources we have. There's nothing that is inherently good or inherently evil about what we have. The question is not how much do we have, the question is what do we do with what we have? How do we live in light of the fact that we have more? How do we live well with more? How do we live well? How does God want us to live well as people to whom he has given so many opportunities and resources? The Apostle Paul, who was one of the leaders of the early Christian church, wrote a number of different letters, and, and one of the letters he wrote was to his protege, a young man named Timothy. And there's a section in that letter where Paul actually addresses the question of how ought we, as followers of Christ, to live when God has given us more. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17, I just want to read three verses, and we're going to spend most of the rest of our time looking at these three verses. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world, those who have more in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So when we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to live well when God has given us so much? As I was looking at this passage, one of the things that jumped out at me is something that at first was a little bit surprising, and it occurs at the end of verse 17. Paul says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And if you've grown up going to church, if you've grown up around other uh, Christians, you may have heard that it's actually not good for us to enjoy the kind of riches, the kind of wealth, the kind of opportunities, the kind of talents that God has given us, that it's selfish, that it's wrong for us to enjoy this. But what Paul is saying is, no, we should enjoy the benefits 
of what God has given us. He's given them the things to us. He's given us more, at least in part, so that we can enjoy it. He's blessed us in this way, and he says, hey, go ahead and enjoy it. This idea that we can't enjoy things, that, that if we enjoy doing something, it loses its moral value in some sense. That doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't come from God. It comes from Kant. It comes from secular philosophy that's actually antithetical to what the Bible is teaching. God tells us, I've given you these good things. Enjoy them. Now, there's some pitfalls, and we'll talk about that in a minute. There's some things that we have to, to avoid, but God says it's totally fine. It's good. I want you to enjoy the good things that I provided for you. So enjoy your house. Enjoy your car. Take a nice vacation. Go to a Broadway show. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have. Send your kids to a good school. Give them various lessons and, and, and different opportunities. Save for your retirement. Throw a big party. Invite me to your big party. You know? <laughs> You'll enjoy it a whole lot more. Seriously, there is nothing wrong with enjoying the things, the good things that God has given us. In fact, not only is there nothing wrong with enjoying the good things that God has given us, it's good to enjoy the things that God has given us. We just need to make sure that we don't let them substitute for God, that we don't let the gifts replace the giver. We need to avoid the pitfalls of having more. And there are some pitfalls of having more. If we want to live well with more, not only do we need to enjoy what God has given us, we need to, enjoy, we need to avoid the pitfalls because more money means more choices. And more choices mean more opportunity to make some wrong choices. More talents means more open doors. And sometimes those doors are doors that we ought not to walk through. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Again, nothing inherently good or bad about money, nothing inherently good or bad about talents. The question is, what do we do with the more that God has given us? Having more can be a blessing but it can also be dangerous. And Paul talks about this again near the beginning of verse 17. He says, command those who are rich, those who have more in this present world, not to be arrogant. And it's so easy for us to become arrogant when we have more, either because we think that we have more because we're better than other people, or we think that we have earned that more. We view ourselves as superior to other people when we have more money, when we have more talents, when we have better education than they do. And, and Paul says, no, that's wrong. Why? Because I didn't ultimately do anything to provide myself with the ability to earn that more. Ultimately, it all comes from God. It's a gift from him. And Paul says this again at the end of verse 17. God richly provides us with everything. So I may have the ability to earn, God may have given me the ability to earn money, and so I may be able to earn a lot of money, but where did that ability come from? It came from God. I may be able to develop the various talents, 
musical or artistic or sports or whatever it is. I may be able to develop those talents, but where did they come from? Ultimately, they come from God. I can take advantage of the opportunities that God has given me, but why was I born into the United States? Why was I born into the, the, the family into which I was born? It's again, it's nothing that I did. It's God providing me with opportunities. And so I need to avoid the temptation to take credit for what God has given to me. Because when I take credit for what God has given to me, that's arrogance. But when I recognize that all that I have, all that I am, even the strength, even the ability to work hard, that all of that comes from God, then I'm beginning to live well with the more that God has given to me. Closely related to this issue of arrogance is the idea of trusting in the more that God has given to us. Paul says, instruct them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. When you've got a large bank account, when you've got a big portfolio, when you've got a steady stream of income, it's easy to look to that wealth, to those resources for security. And in some sense, they do provide a measure of security, but that measure of security is ultimately just an illusion because ultimately, we can never be sure that the money that we have is gonna be there tomorrow. Think back just a few years ago to the financial crisis of 2007, 2008. A lot of you guys know what a difficult time that was, how unstable our economy is, how we can't rely on this concept of what we used to be able to call job security. I had a friend who was laid off from work just a couple of weeks ago. This happens over and over and over again. And so when we're trusting in our wealth, when we're trusting in our talents, when we're trusting in anything other than God, it's not always going to be there for us. So we need not to trust in the gifts that God has given us, but ultimately in the giver himself. John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, one of my favorite hymns. He puts it this way. He says, it's no less difficult to have great abilities than great riches without trusting in them. So we can be talking about wealth. We can be talking about money and trusting in that, but we can do the same thing with our talents. You're good at negotiating. You're, good, you're, a, you're a people person. You're an incredible organizer. You're an amazing artist. Talents that God has given you. But when we end up trusting in those talents rather than in the God who's given us, we give ourselves this false sense of security. We give ourselves this false sense of self-sufficiently and we're in for a rude awakening when those talents, when that money, when those opportunities go away. If we look to money or talents or to anything else to provide what only God can provide, then we're going to end up being disappointed. Our nation's motto is the phrase, in God we trust. And, and I didn't know this until this week, but it actually comes from the, the fourth verse 
of the Star Spangled Banner, which is, which is pretty interesting. And, and we've got it printed on uh, most of our coins and on our paper money, this motto, in God we trust. And I'm not sure, as I was thinking about this this week, I'm not sure whether that's an irony that it's printed on the back of our money, because we typically like to trust in money, and on our money is the reminder, in God we trust. So I'm not sure whether it's a, a, an, an ironic concept there, or whether it's an intentional phrase to remind us, you know what, no matter how many of these pieces of paper I have, I can't trust in them. I ultimately need to trust in the God who provides me with everything that I need. And so if every time, if every time that I took $20 bill, $100 bill out of my wallet, if every time I did that and looked at that and I reminded myself that in God I trust rather than in this money that I'm holding in my hand, I would be a whole lot better off and I would be living well with the more that God has given me. And that leads to the third way that we need to live well with more, and that's trust God. Don't trust riches. Don't trust wealth. Don't trust talents. Trust God. Don't let money or talents or anything else displace God as the one to whom we look to meet our needs. Paul says right in the middle of the verse, teach them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in in God. Money may fail us. Our talents may fail us. We may get physically ill and not be able to recover. All of the things that we look to for security may fail us. But as we were singing just earlier, God will never fail us. We can always trust him because he is both willing and able. He cares for us. He loves us. He desires to meet our needs, and he's capable of doing that. And then Paul tells us, take it a step further and share. Share. Don't hoard what we've got. Share it with other people. Verse 18, command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. And that links so closely with this concept of trusting God. Because if I don't trust God, if I'm worried that my needs are not going to be met, then I'm going to be hesitant to share. I'm not going to be generous because I feel like if I give to you, whether it's of money or my time or my other resources that I may have, if I feel like I have to have those in order to be secure, then I'm going to hesitate to share and to be generous with other people. But if I'm ultimately trusting God, if I'm looking to him rather than the things that he's given me, if I'm looking to him to provide my needs, then I'm going to be so much more willing to share with other people. And Paul's already said this. He says, God is the one who richly provides us with everything. So when we trust God is going to provide everything that we need, then we're going to be a whole lot more willing. We're going to be a whole lot more free to share with the people around us. Paul ends this passage by pointing us to something that's bigger than ourselves. And, and, and I love the way that he puts this here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19. He says, In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold 
of the life that is truly life. We have such a myopic view of our lives. We are so focused on our own little worlds and our own particular agendas that it's easy to lose sight of the fact that there is something that is so much bigger than we are that's going on around us. Paul is essentially saying we need to live in light of the big picture. One of the dangers of having more, one of the dangers of having a lot of resources is that it shrinks our world to the size of our bank account or to the repertoire of our talents. And we begin to think that life is about money or talents or the time that we have, the things that we do in order to earn that money or to develop those talents that God has given us. And so we have this reduced view of the world and we miss the fact we miss the fact that God is doing something so much bigger than what we often think of in our lives. God is right now working to take this broken world and to redeem it, to restore it to the way that he intended it to be. And he gives us the resources that we have, whether it's our time, whether it's our talents, whether it's our treasure, he gives us those resources so that we can be part of this big picture, of this incredible plan of redemption and restoration that he's working out in this world. And he says to us who are followers of Christ, he says to us, hey, I'm giving you more so that you can use it to help others to come to know him, to come to know God to grow in their relationship with him, to be freed from the tyranny of the insecurity of, of wealth and of talents and of opportunities, and instead be freed to live the kind of life that he created us to live. And so he gives us more, yes, so that we can enjoy it, but also that we, so that we can share it. And the goal of our sharing it is to help others to overcome the difficulties in their lives, to help others to come to the point where they know who Jesus Christ is, that he's the one who gave of himself richly, freely, generously, not because he was obligated to, but because he loves us and because he wanted to do that. And when we understand that, we can be free to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And it's so much more freeing to not be constrained by the fear of, is my money going to run out? Are my talents going to go away? Are the opportunities going to dry up? When I don't have to worry about those things because I'm trusting in the one who richly provides, then I can be free to enjoy the good gifts that he's given to me and to share those with the people around me who are in need. And then I can enjoy the blessing of being used by God, of being part of his grand redemptive plan of restoring the world to the way that he intended it to be. So when we ask the question, how do we live well with more? Enjoy the benefits. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
Enjoy the benefits that God has given you by the fact that you have more. Secondly, avoid the pitfalls. Watch out because all of us, all of us can fall into that trap of becoming arrogant, of thinking that we are in some sense superior because we have more or we have more because we are superior. Avoid the pitfall of self-sufficiency. Avoid the pitfall of relying on the gift rather than the giver. Instead, trust God. Trust the one who richly provides, the one who gave himself ultimately, who sacrificed himself for us so that we could have a right relationship with him. And finally, live in light of the big picture. Our lives are so much more than our day-to-day existence, than earning money to put food on the table. Yes, that's important, but our lives are so much more than that, and God has called us to be part of something that is so much bigger than that sort of day-to-day mundane existence. Andy Stanley is a a pastor in Atlanta whom I I enjoy reading books that he's written, listening to to messages uh, that he's given. And uh, he's reflected on this passage in a way that was uh, really helpful for me over the last few weeks as I've been looking at uh, what he said about it. And he summarizes it in this way. He says, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And if we want to know what it means to live like, to live well as those who have more, that's a great motto to live our lives by. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And when I do that, then I'm going to be well on my way to living well with more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who richly provides for us. I thank you for the incredible opportunities that you've given us uh, in, in this community. Great education, safe housing, good health care, the arts, sports, all sorts of incredible opportunities that you've given us. And I thank you for that. And I pray that we wouldn't feel guilty when we enjoy those things because you've given them to us for our enjoyment. But I pray that we would not let them become a substitute for you. I pray that we would not trust in the riches that you've given us, but instead we would continually trust in you, looking to you, recognizing that all that we have comes from you and that you love us more than we could ever imagine, that you are completely faithful and that you are completely capable of providing everything that we need. So I pray that we would look to you for that. And as we do, I pray that our desire to be part of this big picture, to be part of your grand plan of redemption, to be part of what you are doing in this world, I pray that that desire would grow, that we would be free to share what you have given with us, with those around us who are in need, both physically and spiritually. And I pray that as we do, our love for you would grow, our trust in you would grow, and I pray that you would be glorified and that others would be blessed. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks you guys for coming out this morning, and I hope that you have a wonderful week.